Welcome to the You Need More Money podcast. I'm your host, Matt Monero, where I come to you each and every week from my studio in Dallas, Texas. I'm fired up for today's podcast. Today's podcast is podcast number 150, and it's special for a lot of reasons. Number one, 150 episodes is a lot more than a lot of people who do podcasts. And that really gets me fired up. The second reason is 150 podcasts is a lot less than a lot of people do with podcasts, and that gets me fired up too. But most importantly is today's guest. I specifically wanted today's guest to join me for number 150 because he's been with me for the entire journey of all of the stuff that we've been doing. He and I met at the very first 10X Growth Con in Mexico, and I don't think a lot of people really understand that the Growth Con that happened in Miami was not the first 10X Growth Con. My guest today and I were at the very first 10X Growth Con with about 25 other people long before the world knew who Grant Cardone was. My guest today and I were following him religiously, trying to figure out who is this guy? What makes this guy tick? Because I kind of like what this guy's all about. And on the flight down to Mexico, I was listening to my guest's book, Zebras and Cheetahs, on the audio program. And the next morning when I get to the gym, I see the guy. I said, hey, you're Coach Bird, aren't you? And he said, yes, I am. I said, I just finished your book, Zebras to Cheetahs, on the way down. And from that moment on, Coach Michael Burt and I have made money together. We've spent money together. We've had a lot of fun and experiences together. But most importantly, we've become friends. And I don't use that word lightly. So welcome, Coach Michael Burt, to episode 150 of the You Need More Money podcast. Yeah, everything you said is true. That 150 is a milestone. Like you said, what I see as a coach today matters. A lot of people start and they don't see something through to its logical conclusion. They start with good intentions, they fall off the wagon, and then they feel guilty about it. And and so what you've done with this podcast, which has reached thousands of people, I was just with Hank Norman and Steve Carlos this week in New York City, and we were talking about you and your storytelling and what, how far you've come in the world, and uh, I've, just, I've just been fortunate to be along for the ride, man. Well, you know that that's back at you too, Coach. We've made strides together, I mean, the two of us. I see you taking things to a level that <clears throat> we're not taking it to yet. Um, and I congratulate you on that. But let, let's just stay on that for a second for the podcast because you are talking, speaking to thousands and thousands of people a month, whether it's through your online programs, through your own shows, or your in-person gigs. What is the state of small business in America today, Coach? Well, I think the state of small business is, is, is man, it's, it's, it's a grind out there. It, but, but, but here's the deal. There's so much opportunity. There's so much, there's so much available to us today that the small business owner is in a good position. But at the same time, what I see from a lot of small business owners is they don't have the systems, process, and structures they need to go from one level to another level to another level. So building, growing, and scaling a business is what everybody wants to do, but, it, but it's more complicated than that. You've gone through that in your journey, That what, what you learned going the first 18 years and then the next 18 years. A lot of people are in that. And you talk about they hate, there's a percentage of the time they hate their business. They love it and they hate it. And they love it and they hate it. And one of my good friends said to me one day, he said, you're going to do everything you talk about in your book, Personal Ventures. You're going to do everything you talk about. And one day you're going to wake up and actually hate 
And I said, oh, no, I would never. I would never build something in an 80. But but when you when you build something and the demand is there, it's a, it's both a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. So I see the small business owner. I see them struggle. I see their insecurities. I see their I see the I see them them starting and quitting. I see them not being able to make money. I see them not having a selling system. I get to see all of that when you're coaching as many people as I do. I, I think um, all of that stuff is learnable, if that's a word. All of it is learnable for the person that has the ambition and the desire, the grit, the um, the passion, if we want to use that word, to actually change their existence in the world. But what I experience, Coach, and I'm really interested in your opinion of this, is I, I'm amazed how many people I talk to who tell me what they want, and when I give them the answer, I'm only filled with but this, but that, but this. <laughs> so isn't that really the piece of the puzzle, which is they're afraid of something, and that something is the exact requirement that has to occur for them to get out of their stuck? Well, it's interesting you said that, because I use this very statement today in, in my course, Monster Producer. We had over 100, 100 live people there. And, and, and I was coaching a guy once and here's what he said for me, for you to coach me effectively, I want to give you an unlimited license to say anything you need to say to me in any way you need to say it to get me to a higher frequency. And I won't get my feelings hurt. And he said, you have an unlimited license for the rest of my life to say whatever you need to say to me to get me to a much higher frequency. Now, Matt, let me ask you this question. How many people out of the thousand people we're coaching a month do you think have ever said that to me? No, that's the that's it's guys like me and you and your client who say that, but most people would never even understand what the implications of that is. Well, and I think I think that's the problem is is you know, when I left coaching athletics, I had to soften up to coach adults because they just weren't mentally tough enough to hear the truth. Yeah even when they were paying to, to, for, for me to get them to a higher level. I mean, I've had people quit because I told them they had a, 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 you know, too, too much anxious nervousness about them. And that's one reason that was prohibiting them from playing at a higher level. I've had them quit when they didn't get enough attention. I've had them quit. I mean, you know, we live in a mentally weak society today. And that's one thing I'm, you know, my new book is inside the mind of a monster. Mm. And, and this is my version of your grit book. This is a tough minded book about how how you get emotionally tough enough, the volume you have to go through to be successful, the number of people, how you handle disappointment and adversity. I mean, this is my grit book about this is how the big-time monsters perform. I love it. What is that, Coach? Is that book number 13? Book number 13. Yes. Wow, no kidding. Look at you just keep pumping out these books, my gosh. Pump out 13 of these <laughs> It really takes a lot of ideas, too. But look, Coach, a lot of people know you, but I, I want the world to get a, a little deeper understanding on today's podcast with you. So my favorite question is, take me back to the dinner table when you were a kid. What was the conversation that you remember happening at your household when you were a young teenager? You know, when I was young, I was raised, my mother had me when she was 16 years old. My dad was 18. They stayed together for about a year. Um, then they divorced. So I was raised primarily by a single mom who was just tough. You know, she, she wouldn't let me miss a day of school that my whole childhood. 
she, she, you know, it's like show up, grow up, deliver. You know, we don't whine, we don't complain, we don't make excuses. Hey, this was long before a fever kept you out of school, right? You had a fever. Your mother said, you're still going. Hey, dress up and go. We're going. (laughs) And I didn't understand that growing up, like how that would serve me later in life. Man, it serves me every day when I don't want to get up, when I don't want to show up, when I don't want to deliver. And so I was raised by this mom working two and three jobs. I spent a lot of time at the local baseball field. Uh, and co- other coaches tended to me as if they were surrogate parents. That's when I really fell in love with coaching because I watched these people raise other people's kids. I watched them take them home. I watched them feed them. I watched them. And, and that's when really early in my life, as early as six years old, those coaches began to say to me, you're going to be a great coach one day. Mm. You're inquisitive. You're curious. So I tell people I really found my unique ability as early as six. I was formally coaching as early as 15. And so really I'm 42, uh, you know, now. And so that's all I've done my whole life is try to get people to a higher frequency in their life uh, through a very systematic approach that I, that I started very early in life. So that's, that's kind of how it started for me. So, you know, you know my story. I mean, when I look back on my story, I look back with a lot of absenteeism, a lot of pain, a lot of sort of where, where was that leadership? Do you have that emotional connection when you think back to those early days? Or, or do you feel like it was a very healthy and um, protective and set up environment? Well, I, I feel like there was, I feel like there was unhealthy periods of my life. My, my, my mom was, was in some, you know, I would say difficult marriages and, you know, where, where those people were verbally and physically abusive to her. I saw that as a kid, mm. uh, you know, I didn't have a very close relationship with my father growing up. Uh, I, I, I still remember thinking that we were kind of strangers to each other. I don't yeah. remember ever him saying he loved me or, you know, hugging him or, you know, things like that. So now a lot of that contributed to how tough I am today, which has helped me a lot. You know, her Tony Robbins talk about all of those things that you, you kind of felt bad about as actually the reason you're where you are today. So I don't look back on any of that as a negative. I look back on it as it was kind of the formal training to toughen me up to do what I needed to do on planet Earth, and that's helped a lot of people. Do you think that that made you relate to the student-athlete that you could very quickly sense that maybe they were, you know, braggadocious or boastful, but there was a lot of sort of underpinnings going on on the home front? You felt felt a a kindred spirit to that type of person? I did, because a lot of the players that I coached did not come from wealthy families. They come from divorced families, no family. I had players that had to ride in taxi cabs to school in the morning. Uh, I saw myself as a mentor to those kids. So I literally taught some of them how to drive with my own car <laughs> in, in the parking lot of the high school. I, I, you know, I gave them money so that they could eat. I went and picked them up at their house to make sure they came to practice. These are things that you probably couldn't do today. Right, right. But, but those are things that I just did as part of my coaching relationship with them to help them perform at a much higher level. And that was very important because, you know, when I wrote the book on confidence several years ago, I, it, it really reminded me that confidence was the one thing that affected everything. And if a kid didn't have confidence, they wouldn't try. They wouldn't make an effort. They would always contract and retreat. That's the exact same thing adults do today. Yes, man. Insecure, they contract and retreat. They don't push. They don't exert. You know, I had a mortgage originator today say, you know, the market's slowing down. It's freaking me out. And I said, look, when you get freaked out, you apply more action. You never contract when you get freaked out. You exert more force. And just saying that to her, she's probably 40-something years old. She needed to hear me say, look. This is the time to buckle down. It's not a time to quit. It's not yeah. a time to feel sorry for yourself. You got to get tougher. You got to think like a big time monster thinks. I was talking to a guy earlier today, and he was complaining about regulation. 
uh, in the marketplace. And I said, you know, it's very interesting you, you say that. He was telling me that he had to pay a lawyer 10000 bucks to write this specific disclaimer on some of the stuff that he's doing and how that was such a problem for, you know, for him and regulation keeping him down and all this sort of stuff. I said, you know, the only thing I hear when you tell me that story is that sounds like a pretty good niche for a lawyer to find more guys like you who have whatever this little problem is, build the template, and start knocking down $10,000 checks one after another, one after another, one after another. Sounds like a pretty good niche for a lawyer is what I saw in it. Absolutely. I mean, what do we focus on is what we get, right? So let's stay on the mindset thing just for a second because I think you're a master of the mindset. But unfortunately, through the career path that you're in as a speaker and an author, you're dealing with this this mindset, uh, victim mindset for a lot of people. Uh, what is a quick trigger that somebody can go from victim to contributor if that's the right roadmap? Well, I think the concept is if you look at what big time people do, they take total ownership of everything, whether it's their fault or not. You know, and I, and I use this example. If they, if, they don't, if they don't hit their sales numbers, they don't blame their sales team. They blame themselves for not training their sales team appropriately. Yeah. They, they, they don't, they don't, you know, if they don't have have enough deals in the pipeline. They don't blame anybody else that, other than themselves for not having enough deals in the pipeline. I just think this concept of total ownership, of bringing it back to you, that the leader creates all of the confusion in the organization, you know, and confusion is randomness in motion or, or a problem that appears to have no solution to it. I, I think the big time players pull it back to themselves and go, I could have done a better job being clear, training people, coaching people, yeah. getting them ready. A lot of people don't do that in today's world. Look, at our BFS conference a couple weeks ago, we had a speaker named Rand Stegan. I absolutely have to introduce you to him. And Rand, uh, he runs an a organization called the Stegan Institute. Um, and I'll say it on the podcast, but he doesn't like a lot of people to say it. He's uh, John Mackey of Whole Foods Personal Coach. And uh, he, one of the slides that he presented at, the, at BFS was, <clears throat> how do you move through this? And he went from the slide basically quickly connected victim, arrow, to a contributor. So the minute you recognize that you're becoming a, a victim, you're being victimized, you're thinking like a victim, you have to put yourself into a, into a creation movement. You have to start getting stuff. Now, that's maybe the formal or sort of white-collar version of it. My old client, Bobby Whitfield, the old trucker in Greenville, Texas, used to say, um, when you're feeling that way, when you're worried, the pipeline's light, you feel like a victim, things aren't going your way, get on the phone and just start making shit up, is what he would say. Get the phone, ring it. It's still true. Now, whether you want to say it in the white collar or the blue collar version, it's the same thing. Get off your butt and get moving again. Yeah. Well, if you see, listen, action cures a lot of things. <laughs> action cures a lot of things. Man. I'm telling you. And when in doubt, take more action. Oh, if every 30 people you talk to, 4.8 are going to be interested initially. Then there's going to be 10 that you got to hit three to seven times. There's going to be another 10 you got to hit seven to 15 times. And there's going to be 16% that you're never going to get. Coach, do me a favor. Just re repeat those again because I really, I, I, I mean, that's like unpacking the expertise right there, right? And I really don't want to glaze over that because that formula that you laid out is so important for somebody listening. Would you just walk through that one more time, Coach? Because I'm going to take yeah. a note on it as well. When I, when I study the law of diffusion and innovation, what I see is that 2.5% of the people are early are, are innovators or, you know, are, they're basically innovators. Then there's a percentage of people, 13.5% that are early adopters. Then 34% are early majority, 34% late majority, and then 16% laggards. When I see that, when I saw that stat, it, it helped me because it helped me to understand this. I said, let me put it in numbers I can understand. 
that meant for every 30 people I talked to, there would be 4.8 that would be innovators and early adopters who would be interested immediately in my product or service. Then there would be 10 people that I need to hit three to seven times. Then there'd be another 10 people I need to hit seven to 15 times. Then there'd be 16% that it don't matter. They ain't never going to get it. Mm. So that changed everything for me, Matt, because when I walked into a room in the old days, I said, I mean, I'm going to get everybody, you know, and I would leave (laughs) no matter how many we got, I would leave feeling disappointed. Did I do a poor job? Could I have done better at this? Then I saw this stat and I, and man, it's changed everything for me because that tells me for every 350 people in my monster producer program, 52.8 of them are legitimate big time players. They're making real money. They want to do big things. And that's critical because a monster is interested in leverage. They first build a hard skill set that other people come to them for. Because so many people are coming to them, they build a network of people that can exchange with each other. They then figure out out of that network, man, there's a small percentage of them that are legitimate players. And then they, those people get together and do what you and I have done, make money together, build, build new companies together, do joint ventures together, buy real estate together. But, but you got to first develop that hard skill and, and, and understand the numbers that at 30, out of every 30 people, 4.8 would be interested initially. Look, for somebody on the phone dialing for dollars, if you just apply what Coach just talked about, that might make you a heck of a lot happier at work because you're making phone calls thinking you've got to close every single deal, and Coach just gave you the formula of how it's going to play out. So for every 100 phone calls you make, apply the formula that Coach just gave you, and that's what you can anticipate for success. I mean, Coach, it really is success is systematic. Everybody thinks it's time. It's not time. It's not luck. It's systems. Well, and it it follows action and activity and circulation. I'm a very systematic person because I was a basketball coach for so long. And the percentage has always told me if we did these things with consistency, we win the most. Yeah. So I apply that same principle to my business. If we make 40 phone calls in the morning, 40 in the afternoon, that's 80 calls. If 16% of those are going to be interested, we're not going to sell them the first time. We're going to push them to something, get them in the room get them excited. We're going to have a great seven touch follow-up afterward. And then we're going to convert a percentage of those, but we need a lot of bulk. We need a lot of volume to go through before we really start getting our numbers that we need to get. Yeah. We need the big funnel at the top. Yes. So coach, uh, one thing that I've seen, which I find absolutely remarkable, and I know that this was not pre-designed for you, but when the greatest, not the greatest, but one of the most amazing things about your monster producer program is that there have been these factions, these, these small groups that have been created of people who resonate, hashtag like-minded, but not just resonate for comedy or camaraderie, but actually deals. And now you have this group of these super monsters. What, what are you calling your super monster program or your super monster producers? What are you referring to them as these days? We've got 25K level. We've got a monster tycoon level, which is 40000 a year. We've got a monster mogul, which is 60000 a year. So the original thought process, I guarantee you this, and just be honest and transparent with me on this. When you started to throw out those numbers, you said there's no chance someone's going to drop 60 or 40 or 25 to be part of a group that we don't even know what the group's going to look like or who's going to be in it. And then the 25 said, well, you know what? We, we, listen, we, kind of, we, want, we want to be a little more elite. So let's go to 40. And then the 40 says, yeah, we'd like to be even more elite. Okay. 
And then the 60 happens. And then I bet what happens is people who didn't want to play at 25 or didn't want to play at 40 said, yeah, well, now you got my attention. Because if I'm going to drop five a month, I'm interested in who those people are. Well, you're exactly right. I had one level, and that one level was four ninety nine a month, basically six thousand a year. And one of my best clients, Derek Godwin, came along and said, "Man, I'd like to, I'd like a higher level." And I was like, "What does that level look like?" And he said, "I think it's twenty five thousand a year." And within within six months, we had thirty people in at that level. What you think about that? It's such a then, great then he comes story. To me and says, "You know what? I don't want to be average." I'd like to have another level. Yes. I said, what's that level look like? And he said, 40000 a year. We call it the tycoon because that's a person of resource. And, and, then, and then we get – then a few people bump up the tycoon, and then he says, you know what? I'd like to have my own level, <laughs> mobile level. That's 60000 <laughs> What's funny, this week in New York City, another person jumped up to the mobile oh, level. Oh, that's so, so awesome. Godwin is probably close to the, the centurion level, which is 100000 a year. But, but here's the deal. Why would a person spend 100000 a year with us? to be in my coaching program, here's what he told me. Look, I'm probably going to make a million back out of the group. Mm-hmm. So what's 100000 yeah. to have access to all of these people? He's doing engineering projects for them. He's building houses for them. He's handling the greatness factories for me. I mean, you know, it's just it's he, he sees the value of a, an investment like that for the amount of money he's going to exchange with the group. Yeah, also there's an element of accountability that occurs, which the players want. The, the true monsters, the tycoons, the guys that are really involved in success, they want to be held accountable. Connects to the story you started the podcast with today with that one client. Yeah, you look at the big-time players. They all want some form of accountability. Listen, left to our own devices and in isolation of other people is when we make the worst decisions of our life. I can say that from 20 to 30 when I had no accountability. I, had no, I was isolated from other people. Those are some of the worst decisions I ever made. Same is true in business. You got no accountability. You're isolated. You got nobody to answer to. That's when you make stupid decisions, man. And so that's why you need a good coach. I've got an advisory board, and that advisory board helps me maneuver through tough decisions because if it's my company and I don't have to answer to anybody, then I can do whatever I want to. So this accountability piece is critical. Don't run from accountability in your life. Seek it out. Ask for it. Be in men's groups. Be, you know, be If you want to be a better husband, be in husband groups. If you want to be a better golfer, hang out with better golfers. If you want to be a better you know, business person, get around better business people. You know, that's the concept is we got to constantly remember that. We, we desire and need that. We do. It's a human nature. It's an innate uh, requirement of being a, a contributing human to the society and maximizing your own personal uh, accountability. I love it. I absolutely have struggled with that. I'm way out of that phase now. I completely gravitate towards the <clears throat> the players and the people that want accountability. But I was so terrified of it for so long. When I at BFS on my speech, I put up a graph that that shows the 23 years in business. And when you plotted out, coach, from year 1996 to about 2011, that graph was basically straight across. Wow. 15 years of just a little squiggle. up, 8% up, 3% down, 15 years. You know, Les Brown has a great speech where he talks about watering a bamboo, a Chinese bamboo tree. It takes five years before it even breaks through the dirt where you can see it. I did it 3x, 15 years before we broke through the dirt. It's just unbelievable when I look at that. I said to the group, most of you will see the spike, the hockey stick in the... From 2011 on, I said, that's not what I see when I look at this graph. I see this 15 years of wasted time. Time away from the rocker, time away from the boys, right? The sleepless nights, the struggle, the starts, the stops, the 
as you say, the current of the urgent. What a shame. What yeah, a shame. I know. So, and, and I think good coach, you know, what you're doing at Business Finishing School, what we're trying to do for people in Monster Producer is accelerate the process. Mm-hmm. Because when we know better, we do better. And sometimes we have to be enlightened to new strategy. That The word enlightened means to shine light on darkness. And I think what I'm moving to is this strategist that helps people. I bring new strategies to people and to say, look, try this strategy. This is a great strategy. This is something we can do because we need that to, to go from here to there to break through whatever ceiling of complexity we're trying to break through. Yeah, Coach, I think you're becoming an absolute master of that roadmap. And that is the roadmap that allows you to focus not on the masses where the percentages are not strong, but you get to focus on that small group where the percentages become very, very high. I hope everybody understands what I was just saying there, right? It's not the ability to get your 4.8% people that are interested. It's to get the 60% of the smaller group that's very, very interested. That's right. You're becoming a master at that. Yeah, and that's happened just through long obedience in the same direction. (laughs) It's happened through 11 years of trying to figure this out, of trying to build a a multi-million dollar coaching business, of trying to be an international thought leader, of watching and studying the great people that are out there and trying to, to, to find my niche in the world, you know, to find, to carve out my piece of what I need to be doing. So it's, it's just, I think the compounding effect of just putting your head down and just staying focused on the system, the process is just important as the product is. Well, you refer to it as blocking and tackling and chopping wood, and it is the requirement. The requirement of success is figuring what is the roadmap? Is it worth going down that road? Is someone at the end of it getting what you want out of it? And then just block and tackle and chop wood day after day. It is the formula. Most people don't want to hear it. I suppose that's the simplistic attitude or approach to it is that block and tackle, chop wood every day. You'll be warm in the winter. Yeah, if, and if, if the purpose of any business is to create a customer, there should be dedicated time every day to creating new customers. Mm-hmm. And everybody in the world agrees with me on this. And I say, well, are you spending at least 20% of your day prospecting for new money? Do you have a hit list every day? Do you have a farm club every day? Do you work the top 25? Are you working your strategic partners? Are you working your database and your social media every day, man? Are you doing it? And, and it's the compounding effect of all of these strategies that are layered on top of each other that help you one day break through and go, man, we're, we're doing it. It's working. You know what the hardest part about every time I talk to you is, though? I just, I just can't, uh, I can't enjoy all of it. i got to go back and say, damn it, we're not doing some of that stuff. <laughs> he always reminds me of that stuff, right? There's so much to learn from your material, Coach, and what you teach. But most importantly, I'm grateful for our friendship. We have come a long way together. I've enjoyed every last bit of it. I cannot wait to see what the next five years look like for yeah. us. It's going to be awesome. No, I agree with you. I think we've been coaches to each other. You've helped me, you know, get a bigger perspective on my business and really run it like a business, make the hard hires, make the hard decisions, quit being just a small solopreneur and entrepreneur with this rugged individualism and really begin to go out there and build a business that uh, sustains over a long period of time. Well, my friend, we're coming to the end. Episode 150 with my special guest coach, Michael Burt, my friend, Michael Burt. I I was so excited to get you for number 150 because, um, you know, listen, Joe Rogan's got something like 1,300 episodes now, right? (laughs) You know, a lot of people, like you said in the beginning, they quit at 20, they quit at 30, they quit at 40, they quit at 80, right? Joe Rogan's got 13, 1,500. That's where we're going to quit. We're going to get to that number, too. Now, unfortunately, he keeps pumping them out, too, right? I need Joe Rogan to slow down a little bit for me to have it. But we're putting out three a week, so we're going to catch him one of these days. And how much better do you get 
how much smarter do you get when you spend time with some of the best people in the world every week? Yes, that's the biggest thing. I mean, half of the podcast is to help others. The other half is to who can I learn from? And the network that this podcast has provided for me. The other thing, just on a finisher, the idea that the more successful people are difficult to work with or they're selfish or they're isolated, nothing could be further from the truth. This podcast has taught me that the people at the top that a podcast allows you to tap into, are the, they want it for everybody. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the big-time people are incredibly good one-to-one. They're incredibly, you know, they just they have a way to make you feel like a million bucks. At least all the big time people I've spent time with, yeah. you walk away going, man, that guy's good. Man, he's got something valuable to say. He's, he just they, they raise your energy level. They raise your they raise your frequency. Coach, I'm grateful for our friendship, buddy, and and uh, it's just been a pleasure to to ride on this ship together for the last couple of years. Thanks for being on the show, buddy. Absolutely, man. Thank you for everything. I'll see you soon. See you. Bye. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.